there aren't a ton of Star Trek chase scenes. Well, that's because Star Trek's budget was mostly like devoted to the uh, forehead of the week rather than... <laughs> it's all bottle shows, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Live for the Monday Drew starting line in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 293 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about best and worst practices for running chases. But first the party fights back in the Gates of Morning campaign, and later Chase resurrects the prize in the character creation forge whatever that means but we are gonna find out <laughs> also do uh do chases generally have starting lines is that it's like it's a uh, it's like competitive uh tag you know you both start at the line and then you have to chase each other you know in certain olympic events you know there's always a starting line and then it is much like a chase where there's the obvious gold medal winner even before they cross the finish line. And then just like the best person from other countries that don't have track programs. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or can't hide their blood doping. <laughs> well enough. Right. This is episode 293. And if I've done my math correctly, that is very close to episode 300. We are gathering many greasy Spartans for a big blowout episode, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, they're all ready to die. Good. good yeah, good. we've already kicked the uh, the the diplomat into uh, the envoy into the well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're ready to go. Let's march to Thermopylae. Let's do this. There is no turning back. So if you'd like to be part of our last stand, uh, send us a uh, a question for our mailbag episode, episode three hundred, just around the corner. Uh, and as a reminder, and <laughs> at some point, the final reminder. <laughs> uh we are still doing a plot hook every week released on patreon so if you uh subscribe at any level on patreon support us uh support the show you will get a you know five to ten minute little plot hook blurb each week we should probably add that wording as a reward list in the list of rewards on patreon anywhere yes we should do that as well as set up the rss feed for it uh two things that are on my list to do those are coming your way those are coming your way all right, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Flamekeep, the seat of the Church of the Silver Flame, the party is hunting down a rogue sect of House Jurasco. Malik Othero, captain of the guard of the Blood Regent of Thrain and head of the Argentum, has been exposed as a quarry mine seed. But he and his two inspired soldiers are pretty determined to make sure the party doesn't live long enough to tell that to anybody. Bramble and Zan were each almost killed by a single punch from the guards before their bodies completely disappeared from sight. And even after witnessing this unnerving sight, Switch advances and stabs one of the guards deeply with her rapier. Then Malik emerges from the side room with a glowing halo around his head and his feet floating off the ground. Nothing concerning at all about this. Mm -mm, nope, not weird. His armor is gone, and now he's dressed in a simple tunic, which billows in the strong winds swirling around him, coming from, I guess, his brain? 
So he glides over to Switch and punches her, misses with the follow-up strike, and then kicks her in a swift series of fluid movements, breaking multiple bones and throwing her up against a wall. With much of the party down, Warden decides they can't win this fight alone, and he tries to teleport away to find help, only to find that the castle is shielded and his spell fails. Instead, he returns to human form, because he was a fire elemental, and then conjures a wall of flame directly through all three of the psychic enemies, burning each of them severely. But one guard pushes right through the wall of flame to strike down Switch with an elbow to the throat, and the other guard repositions before dropping into a stance. As if a curtain is pulled back, the injured Zan and unconscious Bramble both reappear sprawled on the ground, and one of the guards drives his blade home between Zan's ribs. The warlock, barely holding on to consciousness, returns the attack, smashing the guard's face with a conjured glaive, because uh, he's a... he's a... He's one of those tricky warlock types. Yeah, he's Hexblade. Yeah. Yeah. Moments before the guard dies, his demeanor changes, and the terrified man shouts in quarry, No, don't leave me, before slumping to the floor. Malik crosses a room in a single leap to hit Warden, who loses concentration on the wall of fire and drops to the ground himself, unconscious. And now alone with the enemy, Zan slowly crawls down the hall to switch, leaving a trail of thick, dark blood. But from his pouch, he's able to grab a healing potion and pour it down Switch's throat, and then takes a position between her and Malik. Just barely awake, Switch looks around, takes stock of the situation, and conjures an aura of healing, bringing Warden back to consciousness. Malik's fist blows one more time, and he flies back towards Zan to deliver a killing blow. Impossibly, he misses, and his fist cracks a hole in the stone floor instead. Everyone can roll a one. (laughs) From the ground, Warden is able to cast a mass healing word, bringing everybody back into the fight. So Bramble cloaks himself in the form of a giant ape. Zan and Switch pincer the second guard, running him through. At first, though, he seems unharmed. He looks to Malik and then says calmly in quarry, I will alert the others. Then his demeanor changes, his wounds quickly overtake him, and he dies. Then before Malik can respond, Warden envelops him in a blast of negative energy from behind. His body shrivels to a dried husk and he falls down dead. Then he slowly reverts to a changeling. Dun dun dun! And we'll find out what happens next, next week. And this week, we are talking about chase scenes. Uh, Specifically, generally, with sort of a 5e bent, I guess. Because people don't like them. (laughs) Yes. this This is one of those topics that is right on the border of episode or mailbag question and <laughs> this one got the the episode treatment because it could just as easily have been a mailbag i'm super surprised that we have not done an episode on chases um chases period right let alone uh, strictly in fifth edition or like basically what is wrong with chases in fifth edition and how we can potentially fix them um but yeah every time it comes up i keep being like wow i guess we should do that so here we are <laughs> well well let me go ahead and summarize that up front the thing is they're nothing in fifth edition and that's why they're bad um okay so what are chases 
Uh, think of James Bond racing a gondola through the canals of Venice. Think of the entirety of Baby Driver. You've got one party trying to evade, the other trying to capture or confront uh, a environment, uh, maybe, uh, you know, a crowded bazaar, a highway, a uh, forest or jungle, uh, whatever it is, you know, you have something around them that both parties are trying to navigate while either extending the distance between themselves or narrowing that lead. You know, it's serial commercials from the 80s. <laughs> For some I, reason, these the kids 80s, don't want to share. I don't get it. it. Yeah, if it were the 80s, it would be set in a shopping mall. The The obstacles would be adults yelling at those kids. Everyone would be in, like, perms. People would be saying, yeah, that's right. Don't let that rabbit have those tricks. He doesn't deserve them. For some reason. I don't know. He knows what he did. You duck into the arcade. And everything still only costs a quarter. Parkour through the food court. No, actually, that that would be pretty sweet. Yeah, exactly. There, there are entire movies, uh, as you pointed out, that are essentially chases. And almost every action movie has a chase scene, if not multiple ones. So, you know, we, we want to see them in our games. But why are they so hard to pull off? I, I think part of it is that, right? Like, they're a staple. Everyone understands how they're supposed to feel. They understand, like, viscerally what the, like, momentum of a chase scene is supposed to feel like and how it works. And it's hard to do that, right? Like, a, a good chase scene in a movie is not necessarily easy to pull off, um, but, like, it's a medium that that lends itself to that, right? Like, written word on a page lends itself to that sort of focus on that dramatic tension. A group of people improvising at a table, a little bit less so, and and players are probably keenly aware of that. Yeah, this is sort of like the pun intended chasing the dragon kind of moment. Everyone knows what you're going for, but it's really hard to translate. It's kind of the opposite of what we talked about last week with telepathy, where those scenes are very hard to put on film, but actually pretty easy to do. Uh, at the table. In this instance, you're dealing with something that is extremely visual and that really benefits from, you know, quick cuts, smash cuts, um, from, you know, jumping around in the the frame, like the literal frame of, you know, a, a TV show or a movie. And here, where at the table, everything happens in theater of the mind and everything happens, you know, by its nature much more slowly, even when we're describing fast-paced things, it's really hard to sort of get the tension to match up to the emotions that you're feeling at the table. Yeah, because there's like that, there's that back and forth, right? Like there's that idea of like, you know, the protagonist is pulling away. Or usually the protagonist is the one running, right? But but sometimes they're the one chasing. But they're, they're like, the protagonist is ahead, right? And then there's a setback and they start to fall behind and the, the, the gap narrows, right? And then at the last second, like they pull a shifty maneuver and they're out of the way. Right. And like, it, it, there's always that, that sense of like, there's something just off camera that suddenly becomes the highlight, right? The character saw something in this flash of genius that just surprises and delights the audience. Um, and, and if you can't pull those things from just off camera quickly and efficiently, and like with that momentum, it, it just becomes a, a huge challenge to like keep people invested in what's going on. 
all of you listening right now know exactly the kinds of things that we're talking about because you've seen them so often. If someone pulls over a bookcase as they as they run by and the next person has to leap over it, um, you're shooting a steam pipe. This this one happens a lot, right? Where you like you, you pull a gun and I I guess there are superheated steam vents in most cities mm-hmm. just uh, just at head height. Yeah, certainly the release valves are right at face height. Right. <laughs> or at least at camera height, wherever that is. <laughs> uh, leaping onto a passing subway car. Um, in a game, though, this like pulling this off re- relies on handing over control to the players. And, you know, not every GM is going to be comfortable with that. Not all players are going to be comfortable with it. Um, and not every GM or player is going to be experienced with it or like know how to handle it. And those delays that, that come from that, from navigating that, experience right that time where you're deciding what to do where you're discussing the rules or you're repeating the narration or summarizing what's going on or like resetting the scene like those all distract from like the frenetic energy and the tension that builds in an action scene right like at the end of like a great chase scene as an audience you feel exhausted right like oh my god i can't believe they got away from that um a a lot of times like instead of building that tension at the table you're building frustration at the table and that's a different kind of release of tension when it's over it's not the it's not the same payoff yeah you can see this happen in any kind of action scene you're trying to emulate at the table uh, fights for example notoriously get bogged down in the minutia of the mechanics but a chase scene even more relies on the pacing uh which just makes arguing at the table or, or even or even just like thumbing through books uh even more frustrating and in a game like the D&D, where it's not a linear narrative, you have choices. And if the chase is starting, starting to slow down, people begin wondering, why are we doing a chase? You know, why, why are we running away? We're the protagonists. Why don't we just turn and fight and make this something that will be interesting <laughs> as opposed to like trying to uh, escape from the narrative? Right. Or alternatively, if fighting is not an option, if you have to escape, then is failure actually an option here? Right? Are you setting up a scenario as a GM where you aren't allowing the players to lose? <laughs> because if they lose, you don't have a good outcome, right? Because they they fail. You know, obviously, if they could fight, they probably would. It, it gets even worse where you have players who are frustrated and then out of character, they just say, "Let's let's just give up. Let's just get caught. What's the worst that could happen?" Right. Uh, so you because throw us I, in because jail. I, right because I don't want to do this anymore. Right. <laughs> And then, of course, when you're talking about uh, many of the genres that a lot of us play our RPGs in, when you have magic or special abilities or wusha or teleportation or whatever, uh, those seemingly invalidate the need for a chase scene entirely. When you can just, you know, point to point, uh, use a transporter beam. I, I don't think there are a lot of, there aren't a ton of Star Trek chase scenes. I, well, that's because Star Trek's budget was mostly like devoted to the uh, forehead of the week rather than yeah it's all bottle shows yeah right (laughs) um so let's take a survey of some some resolution mechanics uh the the two that i want to highlight here one is the as far as i can tell as far as i can remember anyway the only actual canonical mechanics for chase scenes in D &D ever uh were skill challenges in fourth edition um, and then I also want to highlight the Knights Black Agent system because it's tied to Knights Black Agents, you know, which which has its own resolution system. But like also it, it's the thing that 
lends itself to the tension the most uh, in in my experience or what I've observed with it. So I wanted to highlight it as a system that does work, um, though still has many of the pitfalls, right? Because it is still a role-playing game. Right. And before everyone messages us saying, 5e does have rules for chases, yes, they're pretty vague. They're sort of crammed in a section of the DMG and those tend to bog down the narrative as opposed to uh, being additive. They offer zero choice is what it comes down to is they are a mathematical equation to be solved, right? Like if you want to pixel five foot squares in a chase scene, sure, you can use the DMG. <laughs> like That's not what we're doing here. No one ever cares about the distance of a chase. Like when, you know, Dom Toretta is running from the cops. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's all about how close they are together, not how far they've gone. And I think that's something that we'll keep coming back to. Um, you want to avoid having players start to do the math about how many rounds it's going to take for this chase to end one way or another. Right. Because if they feel like they can predict it that way, then the the chase is moot. There's no point to this because no one's having fun. Right. It's a chase, not a drag race. Do, do you want to give the quick overview of uh, of fourth edition rules, given that you're the one who's actually played them played before? Fourth edition? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a skill challenge, right? So you get a you the party as a group needs to get a target number of successes before they get a particular number of failures. So you know, often that was like you needed twice as many successes before you had half that number of failures. Um, and in, in order to get a success or potentially a, a failure, each player in initiative order needed to make a skill check. Um, they need, it needed to be somehow relevant. Uh, the way that they were typically written was there were certain allowed skills, certain disallowed skills, and then sort of special cases here and there. And it was one, there was a little bit of like mind reading on the part of the players to like figure out what the GM was going for. Um, most tables eventually just sort of devolved into like, tell us what works here and mm -hmm. we'll figure it out. Um, and then there were these scenarios where like if one person used a skill, the next person couldn't use that same skill, even if they were good at that skill. But it just happened to be the vagaries of the initiative order that you rolled. Um, so there, there was a lot of bartering about like, no, don't use that one. Cause like you have two skills you could use and I only have one and like, we're in this together and you don't want me to fail. Right. And then the other the other piece of it was that like the skill challenge system was not built for chases. It was that it could handle chases, right? And like skill challenges in general, I think got used in a lot of goofy ways. Like they would get used to navigate a series of traps throughout like a part of a dungeon, right? And it was like, hey guys, we're sharing the narrative on what traps you overcome in this dungeon, and it's like that is not how D and D has traditionally worked. You set the trap, I overcome it. We don't mutually agree on on what we're imagining in between A and B. Yeah, I mean, skill challenges were sort of imagined as like a catch-all to be able mm -hmm. to handle narrative situations, and it mostly didn't work. Although, I mean, we've definitely pulled over ideas uh, into other games that, that we've played. Yeah, I, I just want to call out to, so Critical Hit, which is a, an actual play podcast that's been long running and one of those, you know, top of the chart kind of things. Um, they've used, they used skill challenges a, a decent amount and they introduced some kind of caveat rules to it. One is they always rolled initiative. I think the default actually just put you in like initiative modifier order. Um, but they actually, they rolled initiative. 
you weren't allowed to repeat a skill that you had used in the last round, which meant you were always using at least two skills from your list. Um, and then you couldn't repeat the skill of the person who went before you, uh, which I think was just one of the default rules, which meant like you had more skills in play at any given time because, you know, you, you couldn't necessarily just, okay, we all, we all pick the six skills that we're best at across the board, our six best modifiers, and then we go. Right. I mean, now we pick the eight, right? Because yeah, we, don't need, like we don't need to double up on them. Some of us are still going to use the same ones. We're just not next to each other in initiative order. It, yeah, exactly. And perception was always the best one because you could always figure out a way to use perception. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's actually, I mean, one of the drawbacks of the system, right, is you could just shoehorn in whatever skill you wanted uh, to fit the situation. Things like perception were always just like, I look for the path. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but looking for the path doesn't actually advance this narrative at all, even if it does help overcome a specific thing. And, and that works in chase scenes, right? Where it's like, okay, seeing the way forward, like this is an action scene, right? So what are you, you implicitly see the way forward in whatever you're doing. You're supposed to be taking an action towards that direction. Um, you know, so there, there's skills like that where it's like, well, do you rule them out? Um, are they completely useless in these cases? Are we really only talking physical skills then? Um, you know, it just, it can get kind of like hairy as to which ones are in, which ones are out. Yeah. One of the drawbacks of skill challenges as written is that they incentivize players to look for incremental wins rather than trying to engage with the full scope of the narrative. So, if you know that you need five wins, then you'll just get them however you can, you know, whether that's making a perception check or a stealth check to like slip into the shadows or something so that, you know, your pursuer overtakes you and, and misses where you were. That doesn't get your character in the game closer to the safe house. Right. But it doesn't matter because once you hit five successes, the narrative says you make it to the safe house. And then the, the GM would just like, hand wave and be like all right great you shook your pursuers and there now you're there that's the that's the other thing too is like the the scope of a check within the challenge was like really weirdly variable right so it was like like you said right it's just i need to get to five successes so if i spend six seconds looking for the path right if i spend my time just you know quickly plotting the path that i need to climb that is the same value as running through a crowded market, right? Like turning over stalls and escaping sight of our pursuers, right? Like those two things have the same number of contributions to our success. One of them advances the narrative considerably and changes location for the next person. The other says, cool, I've done everything I could to prepare us. You now have to make the role. And the person after you can go, I do another thing to prepare us and you have to make the role. And now our chase is one climbing role. Yeah. Uh, of course. Now, the flip side of that is that just trying to run a, a chase with like, you know, verisimilitude doesn't get you good results either. So you can see how like, and now we're sort of like stuck with like multiple bad options and no good options. So let's keep talking about uh, other ways that systems try to run these chases. Sure. So, so Night's Black Agents, um, do you remember it has investigative and general skills? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, it's know, a gunship-based invest- system. Right, yeah. Investigative skills you just succeed at. 
Um, general skills are the ones that are a variable. Typically, you roll a d6 against a target number of four, um, and a four or better is a success. Um, you put points into it, you build pools out of it, and you can spend points in your skill in order to give yourself a plus one on the roll. So, you know, if it's a difficulty four, you can spend points to guarantee you succeed. All right. So in general, characters are competent across the board. And if you want to be extremely competent in something or you want to guarantee success, you can blow all your points and then probably not be that great during the rest of the day. Right. Yeah. But, you know, if you need a four, you can spend three points and then even a one succeeds. Right. And so you can guarantee your success mathematically a certain number of times. Right. And that's what it gives you is it gives you ways to kind of hedge your odds. And this is not that bad if you think about the fight scenes that it's supposed to emulate, you know, born identity and things like that, or even, you know, a chase scene. Initially, you take big risks and you parkour out of a window to, you know, escape and, you know, fall 30 feet to the ground and roll. Well, you know, that happens automatically because you spent the points for it and then you start to get more tired by by the time you, you know, are like three city blocks away. Right. Yeah. By the uh, by the fourth window, you've parkoured out up to a 20 foot drop. <laughs> Suddenly, the risk of turning an ankle increases. <laughs> um, okay, so so you set it up using a contest rule, uh, and the, the contests are, are generally your you know each side is rolling the same skill. The first one to fail loses the contest, um, and and then of course right it becomes a kind of a press your luck game of how many points are you spending to guarantee success versus the risk of success against your opponent, things like that. So. It ends up like being pretty biased towards having the greater pool, but it's also you as a player kind of pressing your luck about how much you want to spend. Um, the The chase scene kind of modifies that contest and adds the concept of a lead, right? Generally, it's like between zero and ten, and the lead starts at five. Um, and each round, you're rolling that skill, and then the outcome of those rolls, the with the you know the the runner and the pursuer kind of determines how much the the lead moves in either direction so if one side succeeds the other fails it moves by two um so you know the runner succeeds the pursuer fails the the lead extends if it's the opposite if the pursuer succeeds and the runner fails the lead retracts um and then if they both succeed or fail then you look at your margin of success or your margin of failure and then the lead moves by one uh, so it's just incremental moves. You're you're guaranteed that you know even if you ace it, you have three con- three contested rolls, right? Um, but you don't have a guarantee of how many rolls you'll have in total. Unlike you know a skill skill challenge where if you need five before three, well on roll seven you know what it's going to be. <laughs> right. I mean it, it's like um, a game of tennis, you know going back and forth between match point. Um, And this is a, like, if you can hold this sort of concept in your mind, like Shane, you mentioned before, it's not about how far you travel, it's the distance between the two participants, right? So that like grows and shrinks uh, in in this system. And that's something that you can use um, to envision the narrative. We'll talk about that a little later. Yeah, and that's narrative distance too, right? That's important is like, if you're in a car chase, or say a horseback chase, um, you could literally be neck and neck. You know, you could be bumper to bumper in this chase, but narratively, you're about to pull away, 
right? Like that car is damaged. You have the road ahead. You have some advantage that you see, like you have some maneuver you're going to pull, right? That is going to guarantee you're getting away. Even if you are narratively bumper to bumper, if you're at a lead of nine, you're right at the cusp of like taking the last second off ramp, right? That, that keeps the pursuer on the highway and you get away scot-free or, you know, making the like heroic jump, (laughs) Uh, that that they can't make or what you know across the river or something like that. So while this lends itself toward more action-packed scenes in a game, it still has some drawbacks. Yeah, for one, it's fiddly, right? Like once you get it set up, it's kind of smooth. But like getting the order correct, determining the different advantages that either side has. There's like a maneuverability score and a speed score that are that influence these things. And so like at the table, it's not as simple as like just rolling your skills like you normally do um for better or worse and of course you have absolutely no idea how long this scene is going to take because you gotta wait for you gotta wait for the stock to split i guess (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) yeah you also like strictly speaking only roll one skill the the pool of skills is a little bit different in uh in night's agents but like you really only roll one of them in a given chase. You know, if it's a foot chase, then you roll like your athletics, right? If it's a car chase, you roll your drive. Um, it's not really intended to bring in other general skills into the chase environment the way that you have that flexibility, like in a skill challenge. Mm-hmm. What if I roll my athletics and they roll their drive because, like, I'm just I'm I'm chasing down the car and I'm I'm just I, that fast. I mean, yeah, do it. I mean, are you Spider Man? That works yes uh i mean spider-man wouldn't be running he would be web slinging i mean and now that everyone knows i have to go talk to dr strange and mind wipe the entire planet i guess <laughs> we've talked enough about how it doesn't work let's talk about some ways that maybe it will work at your table some tips number one let everyone know it's a chase hey everyone it's a chase why does this work because everyone knows what a chase is everyone knows what it's supposed to look like everyone knows what it's supposed to feel like because we've all seen good chases on screen. Mm-hmm. This is one of the one of the like throwaway lines from the Knights of Black Agents book that sticks with me is like our goal for this scene is to make the chase awesome. We are not trying to one roll our way out of this chase, <laughs> right? Like our goal is to use the mechanics that we have to make the scene cool, knowing that we're going to win because it's an RPG. We always find a way to win. Right. But not trying to find a way to invalidate the premise of what we're doing here. Right. Don't try to talk your way out of this. That's actually not the fun part. Right. Like once we agree we're doing a chase, we're all doing a chase. Right. Like if you want to negotiate it, negotiate it up front. Now, once you are doing a chase, remember that the chase actually is not the fun part of a chase. The like traveling from one point to another point is the background. The actual things that occur are the potential pitfalls or the surprises or the obstacles. Yeah, here's another one straight out of the NBA advice. Uh, like prep those in advance and share them publicly at the table, right? Because you're going to be challenging your players to, you know, describe what they're doing and interpret the outcomes of their dice. Like give them the inspiration in front of them, right? Like you can share your notes. You're all working together here. Like if they don't have something that immediately comes to mind, let them pick off a list of like, here's a thing that happens, right? Uh, Like oncoming traffic clips the car and it spins out, 
cool, great. That's a thing that could happen if it makes sense right now. Right. It, this reminds me of the Torch from Phoenix Dawn Command. Very much so, yes. Uh, which, if you haven't played the game, like at the beginning of every scene, there is essentially a list of things you can interact with in the scene that can give you bonuses if you can find like a realistic way that you might in- incorporate it. Um, and everyone gets to see what it is and when each thing is used and it's no longer available. And there's, there's always plenty there, right? It's, it's just to sort of get people invested and in interacting with the furniture, so to speak. Um, and th- this is the sort of the same thing. It's not necessarily physical objects that you might grab to smash somebody over the head with. It's, you know, obstacles you might uh, run into. And, and this is extremely helpful for people who maybe need a little bit of prompting um, or maybe are less familiar with a setting and, and don't exactly know, you know, would it be weird for Trader Guard to show up right now? I really like the idea of building that together. Like maybe if you seed it with four ideas and then, you know, build out the rest with the group in advance, just like here are some things that could happen. Um, I also really like, because you're right, you get an actual advantage. I think you get to play an extra card if you reference something on the torch. Yeah, I believe so. Or like a plus two or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so if like you could do the same thing in like D&D, right? Like you could, I, I know fifth edition doesn't do plus one, plus two, but like you could easily give a plus one, right? Like the next roll gets a plus one if you use something that's on our torch, right? That's on our 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 set list. Half cover gives plus two to AC, which is like the weirdest thing to see in 5th edition, but like it still happens. <laughs> okay, fine. You get half cover on your next skill check. <laughs> if, if you use the uh, the vat of acid that I've placed on this uh, this card. Here. What is it with you people in vats of acid? <laughs> it's very okay, what if I use the flump house consistent. over here? Flump house, you get a minus two. Ooh. Don't bring the flumps into this. Ouch. So make sure that you're rewarding players for being creative but chases are supposed to be surprising so if something surprising happens great uh a a sort of corollary to it doesn't matter how far you're running is that it actually really matters where you're running the locations the uh, a chase is is a string of set pieces you know like if you the the coolest thing that can happen in a movie is you run into a a a construction site (laughs) because (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now you know that like someone's going to dodge a steel girder and someone's going to go up the elevator and then, you know, people are going to be running across these these beams and someone's going to fall into something, you know? The other way to think about this is like, what are all your modes of transportation that you can involve, right? So like, and if you can, multiple, right? So like a car chase is awesome. Uh, a foot chase that turns into a carriage chase that reverts to a foot chase and then ends uh, with an escape onto a departing airship. Okay, I mean that I'm gonna write home about that one. <laughs> you know, like we, we managed to hit planes, trains, and automobiles all in the same chase. Like perfect. Even if you think your original location is cool, switch it up. Because if you start with parkouring on rooftops, don't end on parkouring on rooftops unless you've circled all the way back around to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> hit the streets, you know, yeah. like <laughs> go go to the underground. Like Get into the, uh, you know, get out of the slums and get into the, into the, like, uh, in, into, like, the merchant district or get into, like, the, uh, the noble houses where the guards are chasing you now for being, you know, ragamuffins. Right. Down into the sewers or slip, uh, slip in with the waitstaff. And now, like, the chase still continues through the Met Gala or whatever, right? But the parameters are just very different in terms of the narrative. But one person is still pursuing another. The other thing that's nice about this is you can actually phase these different either modes or locations 
into a series of chases, right? This lets you reset the tension, right? There's always that moment of catching your breath of like, okay, we've we walked into the Met Gala. It's going to be a hard one to do. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've walked into... Flashback, um, you've been planning this for months. <laughs> it's like the... Um, we're being observed from the rooftops, right? And we've walked into the market and it starts to rain. So everybody pulls out an umbrella. And now we're anonymized by our umbrellas. Like we have a moment to reset, right? Cool. We're still being pursued though. So reset the situation and then reset the like chase mechanics that you're using as well, right? Reroll initiative, reset your counters, like, you know, change where the lead sits do those things so that like one you get a little bit more control of pacing right so if they breeze through the first section and get to this point then fine you you can reset the tension um or two if they literally like struggle and maybe even fail into this you still have a path forward that isn't just you go to jail you get beat up you die yeah like one of the things that makes chase mechanics is they are sort of by necessity restrictive on the normal mechanics, right? We're playing a chase and you can use this subset of the rules normally. And what happens is you have players try to suggest different things and then the GM has to adjudicate or usually they have to say, actually, you can't do that here or here's how you do it. This is a good opportunity, like in those moments when the scene changes um, to bring other mechanics in to switch those up as well. You know, point to the person who says, oh, you wanted to use perception earlier and that didn't work during the chase, but now you're trying to spot the you're trying to spot your quarry in the sea sea of umbrellas perception is the perfect thing to do um which i think actually dovetails nicely like as the gm you need to lead the narrative where you need it to go um right so like the the example we gave at the beginning right of like we're going to spend three skill checks preparing to do something right in order for the one person who's good at doing that thing to make the success. And now we have four successes. Um, you need to lead the narrative in a way that like takes, takes account of the player input, but then advances the scene and the narrative sufficiently that you're at a dramatic moment, right? That there is no more plan and plan and plan again. It is now you've done, you've done, you've done, and now you're getting to the next part. So whether that means you have to narrate through the next three minutes of sprinting or the next three seconds of reacting behind the wheel of the car, it doesn't matter. Just make sure you're getting to the next best part so that the weight of the checks uh, feels balanced. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it. <laughs> this is the, the madcap version of skipping ahead to the action. You know, like literally hop from... Um, change in perspective or change in scenario or change of fortune um, and ignore all the intermediate stuff because that's exactly what happens in in a chase quote-unquote scene right like in a movie it may take multiple hours it could take days the whole movie could be the chase um, you only see the parts where interesting things are happening usually usually if you were trying to sort of see every second of an activity in a game, you end up with these long pauses of nothing happening um, where it's like, okay, I, I opened the door, I walked down the hallway, I look outside, you know, those are the things you typically want to want to skip. In a chase, the, they are defined by 
unpredictable things happening because people are moving so quickly. They're not really looking where they're going. Um, the only thing on their minds is like not being in the current location that they are, which means that if something jumps out in front of you, it's not unex it's not unexpected. It's not uh, it doesn't come out of nowhere, even though it kind of literally comes out of nowhere. It it makes perfect sense within the narrative that something jumps out right in front of you or you run into oncoming traffic, which is not a thing that would normally make any sense in a game with a character who has their faculties about them. But a chase is a situation where you are you are not operating at full capacity. Yeah, that is the uh, <laughs> the classic like flash the badge in front of the car, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I got to get in this. I got to commandeer the NYPD. <laughs> I feel like Will Smith is pulling somebody out right this moment. <laughs> stay on the ground. Just stay on the ground. Just stay. Don't look up. Don't look. I said, don't look up. Okay, so let's talk a bit about resolution. How do you end a chase for good or ill? So I think you've got to set that up up front, right? What is the objective? Is it getting away free? Is it capturing them? Is it getting a fight, right, if you're pursuing? Um, but then also, what is the failure condition? And this is, again, where it gets tricky. Like, you know, if you're pursuing and they get away, what does that mean, right? You you need to have some way to move forward for the party, um, if they're the investigators hunting down the criminals, like they've got to have some other information with which to act, right? Um, likewise, more likely even if they're doing the running, right? You need to know what happens when they hit that failure point because it can happen. Um, it might be a fight, right? Uh, they might lose something that they were fleeing with, right? If they had a dossier or, you know, a valuable um artifact or whatever that they had stolen that they're, they're trying to get away with like maybe like your lose condition is you're going to be overtaken you have to drop the artifact right or you're caught um you know the other thing is like a lot of times like the pursuers give up because they got the information they need like mm -hmm. we know who you are we know where you're headed like we can we have other resources available to us like instead of chasing you we can now set a net and now you find yourself in a worse situation than if you you know had been caught almost right let him go but <laughs> it was set up a roadblock close all the uh, the airports and bus stations like get their uh, get their pictures to interpol what what's that all the bus stations and airports are closed this oh we're we're still in the pandemic uh, yeah, hmm. yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, then Park. they'll be the only ones moving around. Exactly. Yeah, like just remember to be failing forward here. You know, ho however it goes, if the party is pursuing and they don't catch their quarry, all right. You know that that's bad in game in the narrative, but they should get a clue somehow um, about where they're supposed to pursue the suspect next they 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 drop something they uh actually the the um the stereotypical one is like they get away on the speedboat but it's flying a, a flag and so you know exactly what port they're going to right <laughs> or like you you get the tail number off the jet or right. you get the uh, the license <laughs> number off the car right like um you know they, they might leave behind some type of uh, like garment or whatever that your, you know, your hounds can smell. Right. And this is actually a nice bit of solace that you can give the party. And you can even like throw them a bone and give them something that they can use even better than potentially catching somebody. You know, maybe they're not great at interrogation, but they're excellent at research. 
Right. And this is this is that thing where it's like the chase would have been the easy and direct way. Maybe not the easy way, but the direct way. And now you have to do it the hard way or the roundabout way, right? Like the the brute force way of chasing didn't work. Now we have to do it the clever, difficult, um, sort of more uh I don't want to say intelligent, but like the more thoughtful way, I guess. Like the more like reasoned way right the more deductive way i think the word you're looking for is thinky yeah that's the word mm-hmm. i need yep. thinky not yep. fighty yeah <laughs> uh, i think to go back to nba's language here like whatever the result of your chase make it awesome mm-hmm. like if you if you quote unquote fail at the chase and don't catch the quarry then whatever challenge is now presented before you because you failed the chase will be awesome and fun, even if like the characters themselves feel like this is a, a drag or not what they were looking for, it will be fun to play out. Yeah, I mean, like I, I think in my head, like the the failure state of a chase, right, is like the narrowest of escapes, right? It's like you know, you had you had your quarry like both arms on them, like you grabbed them by the jacket and they just slipped out of it and onto like the onrushing like subway or or like down like off of a cliff and into the into the water below to be picked up by a boat right like like you had them and and they just escaped at the last minute and like the dice said that that's what happened and so we all agree it happened um but you're left with that like literally that feeling in your hands of like oh it was so close yeah or you know if the dice tell you that like you failed miserably and like there was no chance that you were going to succeed you still want to make that clear. And again, think of this in terms of a cinematic cinematic perspective. If like you race out of the club into a dark alley and you see nobody, you, you can't spot anyone and they've gotten away scot-free. Well, you know, the camera slash the narration pulls back and, you know, you can see how the quarry has changed clothes and is like walking directly behind the, the PC and is not being noticed at all. And, you know, you see what direction they go in. Right. Yeah, you pick up the trail improbably, right? To to because you still have ticks left in your uh, in your chase counter, right? Or you know someone else in the in the party does, you know? Right, right. The lookout, the sentry that you posted when we inevitably fail. Uh, should we talk real quick about one of the absolute worst chase scenes that we've ever run at the table, which was my boat chase? Your boat chase. Uh, in the, it was the skill challenge that you guys were running. You had stolen a boat and you were running into a storm. Oh, in, in my pirates game. Yep. Okay. Uh huh. Let's talk about I, it. Sure. I think, I think we I hit every out. single one of our pitfalls. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, so, so the, the scenario was they, they were pirates. They had captured a boat. They were tasked with sailing the boat alongside the crew mm-hmm. right and so of course being pcs and being well signposted by the the gm uh they mutinied took their boat and decided to make a run for it that's what we thought we were supposed to do that we th- you we were thought- supposed to do that okay, you absolutely okay. right, were good. yeah see th- this was all a plot to get you both somebody chasing you and a right? boat uh, and a boat right. right so you had both agency and something to to run from um narratively run from the literal chase scene was the problem (laughs) in that we try to use the skill check rules right we try to use the modified skill check rules but i I remember doing like a horrible job of like signposting what you guys should be doing on a boat 
and y'all don't know anything about sailing nope. so so it was that that exact thing of like well just what's something we could do to prepare things because i'm only good at a couple things on my sheet and none of them seem to be sailing a boat uh only one person has like vehicle c <laughs> so only one of us seems to be able to roll to run the boat and that and that was pretty random, honestly, because right. <laughs> no one was like, wait, tool proficiencies. <laughs> there's no there's no navigation skill, I guess. OK, all right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the problem with using Storm Rack, of course, is that 3.5 had lots of rules that were completely irrelevant in 90 percent of situations, but but 100 percent necessary in Storm Rack. Yeah, book. Uh-huh. <laughs> and also coming from um, 40K, which has three navigation skills, actually. Indeed. um yeah and then so so the idea here was that you guys would run from the pirates into the storm you would weather the storm and then come out the other side more or less scot-free with an angry band of pirates very happily chasing you to settle the score at some point but no longer immediately on your trail that was also our plan (laughs) (laughs) uh and then a couple problems one you didn't know how to how to use anything. You didn't have the the domain knowledge you needed in order to narrate it. I didn't give you any information you needed, right? So I didn't have a card or, or any consequences or anything like that. Um, I didn't have any fail state prepared for you. If you didn't get away, I don't know what ha- you get executed, right? right You're pirates. Right. You stole from mm-hmm. pirates. Like, <laughs> 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 so uh, it was just a complete complete freaking mess. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we, I think we didn't know the system well enough, like as a party to be like, well, tell us what our characters would know because like they are not going to die at sea or at least they haven't yet. So uh, assumedly they have some competence. Well, half of you could breathe, breathe underwater. underwater. So you're yeah. like, well, what's the worst case is we just dive in <laughs> exactly. and like the one poor Hadozi in the group and the human and, in the group and, are like, and, well, and we And the die. dragonborn net fighter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so don't be like us. Yeah, I don't know. Learn from our mistakes. <laughs> All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? Those are the drums of angry pirates directly behind us, so we had better just go in pretty much any other direction. Well, let's head towards the Character Creation Forge and see if we can get away. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right, so Shane, this week we are building Chase. And like, I want to make a Chase Manhattan joke, but I don't think we have the time for that because this is apparently complicated and has lore. Oh, there's lore. Uh, Please explain. So Chase is a character created by uh, the band Coheed and Cambria uh, as part of their music, uh, and then also as part of the ongoing novels and comics of the Amory Wars, which is a setting and or fictional universe that is encompassed by the band and their music and their other creative works. I I have no idea what you're talking about, and I think I'm the only one of the two of us who has been to a Coheed and Cambria show. That is actually true. <laughs> I, I think I went to like a warp tour that they played, but I didn't see them. <laughs> you weren't at that stage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, okay. They they have uh, lore behind 
their albums and chase is okay chase is an irobot daughter of inferno Mm -hmm. also known as jesse kilgannon Mm -hmm. who can hear the writer she notably fights in inferno's rebellion against the red army she single-handedly kills dozens of them and ultimately uh ends the the battle by resurrecting an entire race called the prize uh who themselves are tasked with guarding the key work which is basically what allows for interstellar travel in the uh in the galaxy or setting of heaven's fence that all this takes place in is this a fanfic is that this is i I, okay look like coheed is punk ish it's metal ish (laughs) it's prog rock ish you take the three nerdiest genres of music and then you add sci-fi concept band to it and i mean this is what you get (laughs) i mean you forgot emo but okay uh you're right they're more emo than punk you're right yeah what's the build (laughs) Okay. Warforged, okay. obviously. Uh-huh. Right. Robot. robot. Yep. Uh, Divine Soul Sorcerer 17, Divination Wizard 3. I'm so happy for the four people who are going to get this build. Okay. <laughs> All right. So this part I understand, though. So from we just kick it off with six six levels of Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going good for Cure Wounds or Lawful uh, for Blessed. You get to learn Cleric or Sorcerer spells when you uh, pick spells known. What what are you gonna pick? Uh, well, you might pick things such stars as resurrection, true resurrection, or wish. Oh, all the hits. Okay, all the hits. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're gonna resurrect an entire race, which granted the prize are not very numerous, uh, they are one of the three races in uh, the Amory Wars. The humans, mages, and prize are the three. Wait, mages um, is a race. Mages is a race. There's only 13 of them. Uh, how do they breed? I don't understand. How are you a it race? If... I Look, okay, I don't know. That's, this is all from the wiki. Seems all right? like, <laughs> this seems like a genetic bottleneck. I liked some of the music, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right, then at level two, we'll get Font of Magic, which gives us sorcery points. And then, of course, sorcery points can be used for flexible casting to give us more uh, spell slots each day. And then at level three, we're getting meta magic. Um, so this is the, the main reason that we want to go sorcerer and not say arcana cleric is that we want to get meta magic to better enhance our spells because at the end of the day, like chase is super powerful, not just in resurrecting everybody, but also in like literally just dealing damage and destruction. So twin spell empowered spell heightened spell, which gives a, the target disadvantage on a saving throw. Um, and then I like distance spell, um, so that lets you turn touch spells into a 30-foot range, which will include things like true resurrection. Uh, don't even need to touch your target. I mean, I like that you're trying to twin true resurrection. <laughs> you have to touch the target. You touch one target. It's legal. <laughs> um, I'm into it. All right. You also get empowered healing. It's one sorcery point to reroll any number of dice to, uh, that restores uh, hit points from a spell. Caspar, you are an ally. I like that one because it's like... She can hear the writer who is like literally the writer. Uh, so like she knows what's happening. She can just make things better. Okay, moving on. Okay. <laughs> we we know Divination Wizard. Uh, you're here for Portent. Uh, plus you uh-huh. get a smattering of cool low level wizard spells. That is the voice of the Portent right in her. Uh, sorry, the voice of the writer right in her head. Uh, and then Sorcerer to 18. At 14, you get some wings for a 30 foot fly speed. And at 17, you get ninth level spells. 
So we're here for, like I said, the sorcerer complement of offensive spells. Your fireball, your chain lightning, your disintegrate, your delayed blast fireball, your incendiary cloud, your meteor, meteor swarm. Meteor swarm, I won't stop you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, like all of those good evocation spells that are just made better when you can reroll damage and you can, you know, make disadvantage on saving throws. Like, that's what we're here to do. Twin them, do whatever you want to, like, make it hurt. And then an 18 otherworldly recovery uh, gives you back half your HP as a bonus action once per long rest. Yeah, it's uh, probably the best single healing spell in the game or like healing ability. You just straight up get half your HP back. Um, feels like the type of thing that a robot would be able to do, right? Like just like, oh, yeah, no, I have this secret well of energy and capability that like doesn't even. Yeah, no, you just of course. In- like, initiate the repair reserves. protocols and your nanites exactly. take care of it exactly all right well i feel well equipped to guard the key work now so well you're not guarding the key work you're resurrecting the race of people who guard the key work Ishan. it's a totally different thing and i'm a mage didn't i tell you oh okay all right well then your job is to rule over humanity it's confusing oh hmm. that seems yeah. a little benevolent dictatorshipy i don't know do you want to know the name of the villain of course i do General Mayo Deftenwolf. Okay, we're done. We're done here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. And supporters at any level get access now to our Plot Hooks of the Week bonus content. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk more about Coheed. <laughs> All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are talking about bringing a campaign to a close. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building Nighty Night, Bugs. Well, that's it for episode 293 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.